Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're continuing in our Advent sermon series, looking at the accounts of the incarnation through the Gospels. We've looked at Matthew and then Luke, and this morning we'll look and see John's Gospel about the incarnation. Be reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, there are Wonderful, magnificent, awesome words written here, many which are hard to understand, but we know that it speaks of Christ, and so help us now to see Jesus, we pray in his name, amen. As we now turn to the gospel of John, uh, in his account of the Christmas story, we Notice right away that it's very different. There's not many uh, plays for children about John's gospel and how he would talk about the Christmas story because it's very much different from the other accounts of the Christmas story. In Matthew's gospel, you may remember that his burden was to connect Jesus to the long-awaited Messiah, the one who would sit on David's throne and be Emmanuel, God with us. In Luke's gospel, you may recall that his burden was to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Holy One who will reign forever and ever, and his kingdom will never end. 
But John now has a different burden. He wants to show us that the incarnation is greater and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. And he says it like this, Jesus is the eternal word made flesh. We'll talk about what that means. And so John is going to give us the Christmas story here in theological language. He's going to take us back to school. He's going to point us toward the scriptures. He's going to ask us to open up our Bibles and study the Old Testaments. And you may know from this reading of John that it takes us back to the very good beginning. And John is making this connection for us that Jesus, he is the eternal word, the spoken word of God that spoke the world into existence. He was the light breaking into the darkness. He is the word who has become flesh and has dwelt among us. And so let's look now at at three truths about the incarnation of Jesus. And there's so much we could comment on here, but I'm going to focus on verse 14. And so if you want to eyeball verse 14, that's where we're going to see these three truths about the incarnation. The first is, the Word became flesh. The secondly, the Word dwelt among us. And thirdly, the Word has made known the glory of God. So let's look first at the Word became flesh in verse 14. This is the doctrine of the incarnation, plain and simple. John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this may beg the question in your mind. Maybe you've read this before. Maybe it's the first time and you're wondering, what is the Word here that John is referring to? And he also refers to it back in verse 1, in the very beginning of the gospel. Well, the, the Greek word here for the word is the word logos. I'm not trying to rhyme there or make it confusing. That's, that's what it means, word, word, word. The word here is logos. It's a term with very rich Old Testament meaning. Uh, the word in the Bible is that divine self-expression of God, the the voice of God, the the speech of God. It's the powerful word that creates, that speaks things into existence. So it may be easy for you to figure out here that the word that John is talking about here is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. This is an incredible teaching. Because John is showing us here that at the very beginning, when we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and we read that when the heavens and the earth were created, the powerful word of God, the voice, the speech of God that was creating things and causing things to be, making everything come into existence, that was Jesus. That was Jesus. He was there the very beginning. He is the Word. Look back with me at verse 1 through 3. I want you to think of Christ. I want you to think of Jesus when you see the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Do you see the incredible connection that John is making here? Jesus didn't just burst onto the scene at his birth. We see here a, a, a very awesome truth and reality here about Jesus that he did not come into being at the stable in Bethlehem. He was with God in the beginning. He was God. We see also here that John is making this incredible point for us about the incarnation that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not half God and half man. He's 100% both. Don't ask me how that works. It just does. It's the truth of Scripture. Because as a man, Jesus came to fully sympathize with us. He, he died on our behalf. But as God, the only God, the eternal God, he can save us. John also says that Jesus is the light. At the very good beginning, when God was creating the heavens and the earth, when there was darkness and there was this void over the surface of the deep, what did God say? Let there be light. Jesus was that light breaking forth into the darkness, into the nothingness, overwhelming it, overtaking it. And it happened again at the birth of the Messiah. Many scholars are apt to point out when John is making this connection that Jesus is the Logos, he is the Word. He's counteracting this ancient Greek teaching, this ancient Greek philosophy called the Logos, that this was some type of, of principle of reason that gave order to the universe. And this philosophy would have been prominent during the Hellenistic age in the time of the Greeks when John was writing. And so John's bird was to show here that Jesus, he's the reason he is that eternal principle that makes everything work, that makes everything make sense. He is the Logos. But more amazing is this incredible statement that we read in verse 14. The Word, the Logos, became flesh, took on humanity. He took on the form of a man. The eternal, self-existent Word who was God became a baby, lying in a manger. This is one of the more incredible things that we learn at Christmas time. The Word was made flesh. Secondly, though, we are taught here in verse 14 that the Word dwelt among us. If you look there in verse 14, you'll see this word, this incredible word, the, the word dwelt or dwelled among us. That word is one of the more fascinating words in all of the Bible, in all of the scriptures. This word for dwelt can actually be translated tabernacled. And so if we were reading this literally, we would read the word tabernacled among us. We don't speak that way. We don't talk that way now. So what does John mean? Well, again, he's, he wants us to go back to our Old Testaments. He wants us to study the Old Testament scriptures and look in our Bibles and see, again, that this is reminding us 
of Israel's worship during their time of wandering in the wilderness. And so through Moses, through his instruction that Yahweh God gave him, the Levites were to construct a type of tent, a tent with very exact, very precise dimensions. And this tent was to be used as the house of worship of Yahweh God by his people. You may recall that this tent of the meeting was also called the tabernacle. The tabernacle. The tabernacle was the visible reminder that God was with his people. And so this was the place where God, where, people, where God's people met with God. It was the place we read in the Old Testament where his, his Shekinah glory, that, that pillar of fire by night, and that, and that pillar of cloud by day would, would visibly manifest itself in or over this, this tabernacle. And so there was this very visible reminder for the Israelites, for the people of God, that he is, he is with his people. His tabernacle is here and his, his presence is, is with us. He, he is guiding us and he is leading us. But John wants us to make that greater connection here. When he says the word dwelt with us, the word dwelt among us, John wants us to see that just as the tabernacle traveled with God's people everywhere they went as a symbol of their access to God through worship, so Jesus has now tabernacled with his people as the Word of God made flesh. The Word was with God. The Word dwelt among us. And so this is what John wants us to see. To see Jesus. To know Jesus. It's to know God. It's to see God. You know, one of the biggest questions that Christians and non-Christians have wrestled with for millennia is this question. If I can't see God, how can I know him? If, if, if I can't visibly see God, how could I know him? How could I even know that he exists? This is a fair question. How can we really know there is a God? Well, this is one of the burdens that John is going to address in his gospel. And he even actually gives a mission statement in his gospel. For time's sake, I'm not going to have you turn there, but I want you to listen to John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. You can go back later this afternoon and read this passage, but here, here is why John wrote his gospel. You know, many people ask, why are there four gospels? Why are there not just one of the account of Jesus' life? Well, every writer had a different burden. Every writer had something they wanted to express and say about Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing now what John wants to say about Jesus Christ and his birth and who he is. And he says this in John 20, verses 31 through 30 through 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, John was saying, Jesus did so much, we couldn't write it all. His ministry was so wonderful, we could not possibly write it all. But he says, 
But these, the stories, the accounts that he, John gives, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what John wants. That's what he wants his readers to recognize. These things are written, these things are here for us so that you may believe that Jesus is God and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. He pretty much says the same thing. Look in verse 18 of John chapter 1. Look at this incredible statement he says here. And it's a little tricky in English, so let's, let's try to work it out here. He says, no one has ever seen God. And then your Bible may have a colon here, which causes a break here in the sentence. The only God is starting kind of a new thought here. The only God who is at the Father's side, that is Jesus. He has made him known. How do we know the invisible God that we cannot see? John says, the only God who is at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, the Son of God, he has made God known to us. To know Jesus is to know God. He is the only God. He is the one with the Father. He is the one who has made himself known. He is the one who has come in the flesh. I love the way the Nicene Creed kind of works this out for us. It gives us a confession. It gives us words to to confess and to believe about what the Scriptures say about God and Jesus. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says about Jesus, or what the confession says. He's the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light. Very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. The Word made flesh is a very powerful reminder and proof that God loves us, that God wants us to see Him and to know Him. We have this very powerful reminder in the incarnation that Jesus was born. He was God in the flesh. And He came to live among us, to dwell with us, and to perform signs and wonders, and ultimately to die and to rise again, to show us that He is the Christ. He is the Word made flesh. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, Paul tells us in Colossians. We know God, we can see God through Jesus. I try not to quote, make long quotes, but I've got a long one here. And it's from J.C. Ryle. And I think it helps us get the picture of what it means that Jesus was made flesh and that he dwelt among us. Listen to this. The plain meaning of these words is that our divine Savior really took on 
human nature upon him in order to save sinners. He really became a man like ourselves in all things, except he did not sin. Like ourselves, he was born of a woman, though born in a miraculous manner. Like ourselves, he grew from infancy to boyhood and from boyhood to man's estate, both in wisdom and in stature. Like ourselves, he hungered. I think I heard somebody's stomach a minute ago. He thirsted. He ate. He drank. He slept. He was wearied. He felt pain. He wept. He rejoiced. He marveled. He was moved to anger and to compassion. Having become flesh and taken a body, he prayed. He read the scriptures. Suffered being tempted. He submitted his human will to the will of God the Father. And finally, in the same body, he really suffered and shed his blood. He really died. He was really buried. He really rose again. And he really ascended into heaven. And yet all this time, He was God as well as man. And because of this, we have seen his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you now see? Do you now see? Has God not accommodated our desires and our needs to see him? All through the word becoming flesh. And thirdly, we see here about the incarnation that the word has made known the glory of God. What the Apostle John is trying to get us to realize that just as the glory cloud of God's presence was with his people in the days when they wandered in the wilderness and they had the tabernacle and it signified God's presence and his glory being with his people, So now God's presence with his people is in the person and work of Jesus. He is with us. Look in verse 14 there. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. One of the most significant purposes of the tabernacle was the sacrifices that were made to atone for sin. It was a bloody place. It was a a somber place. It was a holy place. And those sacrifices that were made, we now look back at them and we see that they are to cause us to look forward to the cross of Jesus Christ and and the sacrifice that he would make once and for all, the ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins and to freely offer us the forgiveness by the grace of God. And this forgiveness, this sacrifice, this is the glory of God. But how do we, in 2016, how how do we behold the glory of God? We don't get to see Jesus anymore. He's no longer walking the earth. He has ascended into heaven. 
And we certainly cannot witness this glory cloud of God following around God's people. Although that would have been neat to see. How do we now behold the glory of God? Brothers and sisters, we do so in the Bible. The Word of God. That is where we go to behold God's glory. That's why we spend much time in God's Word at Christmas and every Sunday and Lord willing every day. Because the Scriptures are where we go to behold the glory of God. It is through the it is through the reading, it is through the, the singing, it's through the studying of the scriptures that we're drawn into worship and we see as we sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And so let me encourage you, if you haven't lately to Pick up your Bibles, dust it off, and ask God to help you to see the glory of Christ. To help you to see the glory of the incarnation. To help you to behold the wonder of Christmas. J.C. Ryle says again that this union of two natures in Christ, one person, is doubtless one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian religion. And yet I would add that the incarnation is also one of the most wonderful things in the Christian religion. God is with us. God loves us. He sent His one and only Son to be born to die. And that's what this table before us helps us to see. We have another reminder in front of us so that we can tangibly, so that we can visibly taste and see and remember that the Word became flesh and He suffered and He died. He did not come to an earthly throne room. He did not come to to a palace to be the richest man who ever lived and to buy Salvation for us with with earthly wealth. Rather, he became poor. He suffered. He died for us. That's what this table means. That's what Christmas means. So come, let us celebrate the supper. For Christ... The Word made flesh has been sacrificed for us. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to marvel. Help us to glory at the wonder and the beauty of the incarnation. Help us to see that Jesus really is God that he dwelt among us, that he suffered, that he died, and that he rose again because you are with us, O God. You love us, and you've shown us that. So help us now to sing and to praise you in response. In Christ's name, amen.